in the hustle and bustle of life, that he appeared to be nothing special at all. If you will allow me to, I'd like to make the comparison that in the world in which you and I live, that people are walking past and they're hearing Jesus right and left. He even, even in this time in, in which we live, in this COVID-19, in this pandemic, this epidemic, there are more people on the internet, Facebook, the radio, preaching the gospel than there's ever been. More gospel out there than ever. And yet people that they are passing by, this man named Jesus, and they are barely even giving any attention to who he is. See, we can look at Jesus and we can hear about Jesus. We can hear a preacher preach or a teacher teach and say, well... That's a, that's a nice story. We can say, well, he was a, a good man. Or we can say, uh, I, I'm not that interested or whatever. That we can go about our business like Jesus is nothing special at all. But I want to tell you today, and I hope that by, when we finish up this morning, that the Holy Spirit of God, that he will convince you, he will persuade you that Jesus Christ, that he is not just like some other violin player on the street corner, but Jesus Christ, that he is in a league of his own, that there is no one like Jesus, and that he and he alone can and will change your life if you allow him to do that. He will. I promise you that he will. You see, Jesus, his own family, his own family missed out on who he was. He had been away from Nazareth there uh, for a while. And yet as he uh, did that, that his family uh, stayed in contact with what was going on. They heard through the rumor veil, they heard uh, through, through the grapevine what was happening there uh, in, in Capernaum with Jesus. And as they kept up with Jesus, that his own family, that his own relatives, they said that he had gone crazy, that he had lost his mind. The crowds were so big, the demands were so great that he didn't even have time to eat is what the Bible says that they could not so much as eat and when his friends heard of it now King James translate that, translates that word friends it's a word that means close ones and uh, really you get down to the nitty gritty of it I believe that the more accurate understanding of that, though friends would be concerned, that it was probably family members that we are dealing with, that the family members had heard of the, of the physical, emotional, and mental toll that this, that this venture had, had, had taken upon him. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing. They did not believe at this point that Jesus Christ, that he was the Son of God. After all, they remember him being born. After all, they remember him growing up. After all, they remember him as he provided for the family there in the carpenter shop. You see, they had every intention of loading Jesus up 
and taking him back to Nazareth. You see, the, as it says here in verse 21, And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him. Those are the same words that Mark uses at the end of his gospel in regard to uh, the soldiers taking hold of Jesus and taking him away. You see that they had, uh, if, even by force, if they had to, they were going to make sure that Jesus, that he got back home that day. You see, the family was thoroughly convinced that Jesus, that he had uh, lost his ever-loving mind, that, they, that he, was, he was out there in left field uh, somewhere. They had heard his claim to uh, forgive sins. They had heard about his own claims to deity. They had heard about miracles. They had heard about masses of people who had started to follow him, and they were going to have a family intervention. That was surely... Something was bad wrong with Jesus, and they had to come in and save him. They had to get him back home and clear his mind and get him to thinking right again, get him back in that carpenter shop where life was much more simple and that he was not running himself physically and emotionally ragged, but, but once again that he could come to his senses and, and be, if you will, normal again. You see, there are, there's even those today who claim to be the Son of God. You ever thought about that? I was reading after someone this week, and they were talking about those that even today who claim to be the Son of God. I encourage you to Google it this afternoon. Don't do it right now, but Google it uh, this afternoon. And I believe it, you know, you can believe everything on Google and Wikipedia especially, right? All right? But you, you just, just, just humor yourself and do it. A guy named Apollo uh, Quibaloy. Uh, let's see, there's a Jose, Hussein uh, Mayarsi. There's an Alan John Miller, a David Shaler, a Maurice uh, Clemons. An Oscar Romero Ortega Hernandez, that they, they list all these guys who, who are known as people who claim to be the Son of God. And Jesus was not the first one to claim to be the Son of God. But let me tell you what, he was the only one that showed himself to be the Son of God. You see, none of these guys that I've listed here who are currently alive, they do not, they do not uh, uh, have any way to uh, validate that they are the Son of God. They do not have uh, any resume to back up that they are the Son of God. And yet Jesus Christ, everything that you examine about Jesus, you scrutinize the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and from beginning to end, it all validates that He is who He said that He was, that He is the Son of God. What a beautiful, beautiful pictures we see that Christ Jesus, from beginning to end, everything in the middle, that he proves himself to be the Son of God. You know, there are plenty today. And I believe there might even be some skeptics today that are listening, that are watching. You say that Jesus, he was nothing that a, more than a crazy man, that in his own mind, that he believed himself to be 
the Son of God, that he was just another religious radical like has, there have been countless ones throughout the ages and that have circled the globe. In Acts chapter 20, I believe it is, that Paul, that he is speaking with Felix, and he says, Paul, all this learning, you've lost your mind. Down through the church history, whether it be a Martin Luther or whoever it may be, that people have looked at them as radicals who have lost their mind. The great men of God throughout the ages, people who have surrendered themselves totally to the Lord. And what God would long to do through them that they had been, been deemed as crazy people. Even by their families. So if you're a skeptic of Jesus and you say, oh, he, he's just a crazy man. Well, let me tell you, you're not the first one to think that. That even his family, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, even his family doubted that Jesus was who he said that he was. Even his family denied all the very evident of obvious evidences of who Jesus really was so you're not the first and you won't be the last let me tell you what the time Jesus died rose again and ascended that much as his much of his family had changed their estimation of who Jesus was and just because you come into this moment a skeptic about who Jesus is, my prayer is just like his family, that one day, maybe today, maybe right now, that you'll come to believe, that you'll come to accept all the claims of Jesus Christ, and you'll come to receive the forgiveness that Christ Jesus alone can offer you. So his very own relatives, they thought, they believed that he was off the deep end. But not just his relatives and his relations. But look at the religious people in verse 22. And when his friends, uh, 22, and the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? Now we see now that this group of scribes have made the trip from Jerusalem down to Capernaum. Some 75 miles a trip. Now that, you know, we may not think a whole lot about that. That's about, a, you know, way some of you drive just an hour in, in your car, right? Just an hour, 75 miles. But for those guys uh, that were walking or riding some sort of animal, that that was quite a commitment to go and check out this Jesus some 75 uh, miles away. But nonetheless, they came from Jerusalem. Uh, they had been probably given orders by the Sanhedrin to go and to find out what was going on down in Capernaum. And so the family... Uh, said that he was crazy and now the scribes they say that he is possessed of a devil now it's it's worse than crazy see his, his family they were kind they said oh he just lost his mind but these scribes they they saw oh he's not lost his mind he's possessed 
of a devil and that he is, he's a wicked person just causing trouble wherever he goes. Some people, as they have preached from this, this text of Scripture, they have entitled it with a question. Is Jesus Christ, is he a lunatic, is he a liar, or is he Lord? That's exactly what unfolds here. I've kind of thought more maybe, is he mad, is he bad, or is he rad? You know, that's kind of where I was at on it. But I think any of them really, really lied in to what's going on. There's a question that must be answered by everyone. You cannot escape this life without answering this question of who Jesus is. It's a question that you must answer. It's a question that every person who encounters Jesus must answer. Now, let's be fair about it. If you reject, if you reject the claims of Jesus, if you reject the fact that He is the Son of God, then really the only options that you have are that he's crazy or that he's of the devil. There's really no other options. So let's give them, let's give them that much, if you will. But nonetheless, he's not a crazy man. He isn't a possessed man. He's the Lord. The well-known author C.S. Lewis, and I think it's the book Mere Christianity, he's often quoted... And I want to read some of that. It says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great model teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say, says Lewis. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he's a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. Wow. Friend, that's the fact of the matter that you and I, that we have to make a decision about who Jesus is. And some of us that we've made that decision and we have that solid in our hearts that there's not one thing that could shake us from that understanding. And yet there are some of us here today that you have not come to accept the truth about Jesus, that you are in the camp of saying that he's crazy or you're in the camp of saying that he is not of God, that he must be of the devil. Or maybe, maybe you're saying, well, he's just a good person. Today's the day of decision for you. You can't wait. 
You must not wait any longer that I invite you, that I encourage you, and let me say that I even dare you to examine who Jesus is. I dare you to get, get in the Word of God and let, let the Holy Spirit teach you the truth about who Jesus is. If you get in and examine who Jesus is, that you must come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ truly was that he is the Son of God. Look in verse 23. It says, He called them unto him and said to them in parables, letters, these words are in red in my Bible, indicating the words of Jesus, How can Satan cast out Satan? He goes on, If a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand. Now Jesus, he takes a few verses here to quickly show the, the, that their logic was unlogical. Do you hear me? That their logic was completely unlogical. If he was evil, and if he was of Satan, then Satan would be undermining his own kingdom. He says it makes no sense. The accusations that you make against me, that they make no sense whatsoever. Their, their arguments against Jesus, they simply do not work. That, that two and two, it equals four every time. And two and two will not equal five any time. And Jesus says, your arguments, they make no sense whatsoever. He says, listen up. Listen up. He said, listen to yourselves. Listen to yourselves speak. Listen to your rationale. He says, surely you don't believe that. And as you and I, as we talk with people, and people brush up against and they revolt against the word of God and they make arguments against who Jesus is I'm, I'm always amazed that the arguments that are made against Jesus that they come up empty every time someone has said that unbelief listen this this is good all right I don't know who said this it wasn't me but this is good all right it says unbelief leads us into the ridiculous position of irrationality. Unbelief leads us into the ridiculous position of irrationality. I read this this week. When a man stops, when a man refuses belief in God, he doesn't believe in nothing. He believes in anything. When he refuses to believe in God, say, oh, I don't believe in God. I don't believe nothing. I believe nothing. No, you believe in anything if you refuse to believe in Him. You're open. You're open to anything, any sort of lie when you refuse to believe in God. So are you willing I ask you, are you willing to continue living a life that rejects truth? 
I think that all of us, all of us would say rationally that we want to live life according to truth. That which is real. And if you do, if you do, Jesus is for you. Because he, he is the one that is truth. And any time that you dance around and skirt around the truth, that you're rejecting the very one that you need, that I need, there's no other way around it, that we need Christ. If you reject Christ, you'll accept anything. And some of you are living your life chasing everything that's actually nothing. It means it's nothing. It means nothing. It's empty. Everything that comes up, you chase after it. Whatever somebody tells you, you believe. I'm not asking you to blindly believe in Christ. I'm asking you to believe, to check it out for yourself. The, the, the claims of Christ. Romans chapter 1. He speaks of those who suppress the truth. Let's get down to the brass tacks here. You don't believe in Jesus because you don't want to believe in Jesus. That's why you don't believe in Jesus. Because of your pride and your arrogance, you won't believe in Jesus. You refuse to humble yourself, surrender your life to the one who is greater than you are. You're choosing to suppress truth according to Romans chapter 1. He says, in professing themselves to be wise, they have become as fools. I'm amazed at the people who claim to know so many things and yet they reject Jesus. Romans speaks of it. You aren't taking God off guard by your stance. There's always been those who profess themselves to be wise and all they did was expose their foolishness. You know what, that's, an, that's offensive words. And today, I, my prayer is the Holy Spirit of God will take the Word of God and that He will offend you to the place that you're broken and that you will accept Christ as your Lord today. Understanding that you're nothing and that Christ Jesus, He's everything. What Jesus has to say in these last verses. So we've had two wrong opinions. Look at the truth that Jesus exposes. Verse 28. Verily I say unto you. Now these... That, that phrase there is a phrase that only Jesus makes in the New Testament. It's a phrase that's only used uh, there in the Gospels coming from the lips of Jesus. Very unique, uh, a very captivating phrase. Verily, verily, truly. Some translations say, truly, I say unto you. So this is true. These other things are falsehoods. And now Jesus, he exposes truth. Verily. Truthfully, I say unto you, all sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall never, uh, hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now, many people that they come to this text of Scripture, and, and all that they see is, quote-unquote, the unpardonable sin. All the, 
all, all the countless hours uh, and all the uh, oxygen that has been used to try to explain what the unpardonable sin is. That here, Jesus, that he gives us truth, and the reality is that he is the Son of God who offers forgiveness, who offers peace, and who offers eternal life. You'll see, I believe that verse 29, as we talk about he that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, I believe that is a very strong warning. I believe that is of utmost importance that we understand verse 29 but listen to me I believe that verse 29 is servant to verse 28 it's not greater than 28 I would I would uh, I would argue that 28 is the greater of the two verses why because it talks about the mercy of God that's why you see in verse 27, he says that no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. You see that in this picture, in verse number 27, you see the strong man. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man. You see that Jesus is, is using the example that, that Satan, that he's the strong man. But if, what he is, he's the one that is greater than the strong man. Oh, what a picture. You see that Jesus, that he comes. He comes to bring freedom. He brings freedom. That we can, then the house can be spoiled. That those that the strong man has captive, that they can be set free. And Jesus came to do that. Now how did Jesus do that? What's that freedom look like? Jesus came to do that. To live a sinless life and die in your place. And to die in my place. For them to bury him. For him to rise again. And prove that he was victorious. To prove that he was the son of God. To prove that God the father. The just judge of all. That he has accepted his sacrifice. He did that. And he did that. And he offers freedom. Freedom from what? From condemnation of our sins. That you and I who put our faith and trust in Jesus. That we have been loosed from the bondage. From the chains of sin. And that we have been set free. Why? Because of his great forgiveness. We've been forgiven. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's what he says in verse 20, 28. All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. You see, A-L-L is a big word. All. All sin. You see, there's going to be some people in heaven that we never suspected. And there's, not, and there's going to be some people that's not there that we expected. You see, those unsuspecting ones that we thought, man, they're, t they're too bad. They're too far gone. But let me tell you, in the mind of God, in the heart of God, in the plan of salvation, that there is no man, woman, boy, girl, whoever. There's nobody that's beyond the grace of God that will come to him. There's none. You're not too bad. You're not too mean. 
You haven't lied too many times. You haven't stole too much stuff. You haven't killed too many people. You haven't committed adultery too many times. Friend, if you come to faith, you come to Christ Jesus in faith, in repentance, in brokenness, and accept Him as your Lord and Savior today. The friend, that He'll change you. He'll save you. He'll forgive you. He'll give you peace. He'll give you a place for all of eternity. He'll do that. That's what Jesus came to do. No man, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his good except he bind the strong man. Friend, on, on the cross, on the cross that Jesus Christ, that he came in and he took care of the strong man on the cross, the strong man was defeated in Jesus Christ, that he was the victor over the consequences of our sin. Now, he says, All sins shall be forgiven to the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith, so ever they shall blaspheme. All these things are taken care of. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall never, shall, hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now, they rejected Jesus. But you notice the tense of this here. So he talks about, talks about that. Look in verse 30. But they said, he hath an unclean spirit. Now, really, when you get down to the nitty-gritty of this, in verse 30, it says, but they were saying a continual thing. It exposed the attitude of their heart that they had become cold and calloused against Jesus Christ. And here's the strong warning. That you and I, that we can so reject Christ. That over and over again, that we can say no. That we can embitter ourselves against Christ. That we can become hardened to the truth of the gospel. And then as we do that, that our heart becomes harder and harder to truth. Harder and harder to receive the gift of salvation. And that ultimately, that it is impossible so to speak, for us to come to Christ and be saved. Old-timers used to call it sinning away the day of grace. I don't know when that is, but I know that people come to that place where they no longer. Well, they no longer. Now, I, these guys, I don't think that these scribes were quite, that they were there yet. He said that, that we can get to that place, that they are in danger of eternal damnation. They weren't destined, they were endangered. It was possible for them to come to that place that they were going to be eternally damned and doomed. The warning is to accept Christ today. The encouragement is that Christ Jesus, that he bound the strong man, that he came so that you could have freedom. He came so that you would no longer have to live under the condemnation of sin, but you can live knowing that you have life. Live knowing that you're with peace with God. Live knowing that you can breathe your last breath and have the confidence that your first breath will be right directly in heaven. You can have that. But don't reject Christ. Don't reject truth any longer. Come to Him. I read a story 
this past week. Story goes that there was a large vulture who spotted a dead carcass on a huge block of ice floating down the river. On down the river, there was a huge waterfall. And that vulture, as he laid eyes on that carcass, that he had to get to it. And so he came and that he landed there on that huge block of ice floating down the river. And there he began to do as vultures do, and he had his lunch. But he ate and ate and ate. And the entire time, that huge block of ice, that it was floating and floating and floating nearer and nearer and nearer to that huge waterfall. And it would be just a few seconds now, and that chunk of ice would tip over the waterfall. And in that vulture's mind that he was unconcerned about the waterfall because he thought that when he wanted to, he could just flap his wings and he would take off. But the story goes that unbeknownst to the vulture that his feet had become frozen to the block of ice. And then as that vulture tried to take off and to free himself and to to avoid death, he couldn't take off. And he plunged to his death over the waterfall Hey, Ronnie, what do you mean by that? What a great picture of what mankind does. That we think that we can live our life, that we can do our own thing, and that one day that we'll be able to save ourselves, that we'll be able to hop off this block that's going over the fall. And yet, when we harden ourselves to the truth of the gospel, that the day is going to come where we can no longer free ourselves from that block. We have no choice anymore. We plunge to our death, eternally speaking. And so today, the warning is strong. Don't be like his relatives. He said, oh, he's a madman. And discount who Jesus was and is. Don't be like the religious. Those religious at all. He's just in cahoots with the devil. He's nothing. Don't toy with who Jesus is. Don't live out your own ambitions at the cost of rejecting Christ. What about the reality that Jesus showed? He says, oh, I'm not not in working with the devil. That makes no sense. It's irrational, it's illogical. And today, if you're trying to explain away Jesus, my prayer is the Holy Spirit of God will convict you and convince you that your way of thinking is irrational and illogical, and you'll come to embrace truth. Jesus. Jesus, that He came and He died on the cross for you. And I'm asking you today to accept Jesus Christ. To lay down all your arrogance. Lay it it all down. 
Lay down all your ambitions for your life to lay it down. And to give it to Him. And just repent. That means to say the same thing about your sin that God does. Just in your heart. Say, God, you, you know that I'm sinner, I'm sinner to the core. And I'd say if things start popping in your mind that you, that you need to put out to him, you do it right then. And right now, I'm giving it all to you. I'm asking you to forgive me, to save me, to cleanse me. I accept you. I believe. With all of my heart, I believe in you. And I believe from my experience, but mostly and most importantly, from the Word of God. That we have the promise that all those who come to Him, He'll in no wise cast them out. He won't turn you away. No matter what you've done and where you've been, He won't turn you away, but He'll receive you with arms open wide. Will you do that today? I pray that you will. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank